Welcome to Miked Up with Chiral Podcast, where I'm your host, Brandis Field. And I'm your co-host, Tim Bertelsman. And you're tuning into the one and only evidence-based podcast made by chiropractors and for chiropractors. Here's how it works. We'll have a new clinical topic that we dive into each month, and you'll leave with practical skills that you can apply right away. Well, that's contingent on who's giving the advice, and you'll want to take mine. <laughs> Let's dive in. Welcome to the next episode of Miked Up with Chiral Up. This episode is going to be on cervical radiculopathy. While that seems like something that we as chiropractors treat all the time, there is something that's missing. One, our patient education, and two, what exactly are we treating in the first place? We're going to take a deep dive into this subject and hopefully by the end of this hour have a better understanding of what we're treating and why we're treating. First, a word from our sponsors. Oh, wait a minute. We don't have any sponsors. So we get to dive right into it. No one has to skip ahead in their podcast. You just get more information. First, what's happening in practice? It's fall time. Fall time is a little bit different in my practice. I'm seeing a lot of soccer and football injuries. However, one thing that you may notice in practice is you'll get more traumatic injuries as you're in season as compared to those repetitive stress injuries uh, that uh, due to too much training uh, as far as before the season. However, there are two things to keep in mind with this population. One is that time of season and what does that patient need to do? The reason I bring that up is some people have injuries they can play through. So it's up to you, it's up to the patient, and also up to that parent to decide if they're hurt or injured. Listen, if you're injured, you got to sit out. But if you're hurt and you're a senior and it's playoff time in football, we need to find ways, whether it's taping, whether it's dry needling, whether it's manual therapy, whether it's manipulation, to keep that kid on the field. So uh, the second piece of this is age. This is one of the most overlooked things in treating athletes. If you have someone with heel pain and they are 90 years old, it's probably heel pad syndrome. If you have somebody who's 55 and went from a couch to 5K, we're looking at Achilles problem or plantar fascia problem. When it comes to a youth athlete, look for that weakest point. In that case, it could be more sievers. So don't forget about the age of the patient when you're looking at injuries because it can mean the difference between an avulsion fracture and medial epicondylitis for a baseball player. Understanding that one variable is gonna help you help your patients. Now, before we dive into cervical disc lesions, I do want to cover a couple things that are happening in practice that I find interesting, that I think may help you as another chiropractor or as another chiropractor running a business, because I can tell you right now, treating patients is the least of my worries in running a practice. There are a couple things that we incorporated just this month that have helped out significantly. The first is a no-show policy. I and Tim have avoided this like the plague. I just, I don't feel right about having someone charge me for a visit uh, if I don't make it and there's a a, a realistic reason. Um, However, let's be honest. If you have a full schedule and someone has an appointment with you and they don't show up, they're taking that appointment away from someone else. Not only are they taking revenue away from your practice, but unfortunately, someone else wants that slot. And for those chronic offenders, we've incorporated no-show policy, something that I would highly recommend doing. We've had very little friction. The next, and I think this is one of the most important things that we've ever done. We have now incorporated a KPI, a key performance indicator, for every single 
employee on staff. Now, some are important. Some may not be as important. However, we have an employee that's responsible for accounts receivable. Someone responsible for no-shows. Someone responsible for how many credits or claims on hold. How many people sat in the waiting room for more than 10 minutes. There are important things that are happening in your practice that we need to make one of our employees responsible for. So um, having KPIs for every single person in your office, having a very measurable way of how that, um, that, that, uh, that employee is doing has created, I think, more satisfied employees because they now know something they're responsible for and they're reporting back to me on a daily basis. So um, the last piece of this was employee reviews. So incorporating the no-show policy, having KPIs, these are all big things that can change the, the, uh, the, the satisfaction of our employees. So we do have our employee satisfaction meetings. We do have our review meetings in October. And I incorporated one question that I want to share with you. This is an odd question, especially when it comes to keeping employees. However, my question to my employees was this. What is the one thing that would have to happen for you to quit your job? And I think this is an important question. Every single one of my employees is a little caught off guard. However, they gave me valuable insight. Insight into what is that threshold? What is that breaking point that would make them unsatisfied with their job? So something, uh, three things to consider as far as your practice, whether you use them or not, it's up to you. However, let's dive in to the condition of the month, cervical radiculopathy, or as some of my patients call it, sciatica in their arm. No, I'm not just treating Harvard graduates, although some people may call Belleville, Illinois, the Harvard of East St. Louis. Uh, this is one of those conditions that uh, is, it, it, it's easy to treat. It's kind of like sciatica. Uh, it's kind of like a lumbar spine radiculopathy. That it's only as difficult as the confusion is what's causing it. So we need to make some differentiations when treating radiculopathies. It's not just radiculopathy. It's where is it coming from and what could be stretching, compressing that nerve to cause those symptoms. So I want to cover two main topics when it comes to cervical radiculopathy. The first is, is this radiculopathy from a mechanical compression of the nerve or inflammation of the nerve? This one differentiation can cause huge implications with your treatment. So we're going to cover that in detail. And the next is a little bit more of a patient education and I guess more of a provider education piece. And that is this that when you have radiculopathy that's coming from a degenerative process, more like an arthritic change uh, impeding on the intervertebral foramen, if this radiculopathy is due to that degenerative process, how did it begin so fast? If you have arthritis that's been getting worse over the last two decades, how did they just get that radiculopathy last week? That's a hard topic to cover because we need to let that patient know that that structural cause is there. It's not going anywhere. There's no manipulation, manual therapy, injection, physical therapy, nothing. Nothing is going to cause that degenerative process to go away. However, we can get that radiculopathy to go away. So we'll cover that in detail. So those are two things we're going to cover. First is the radiculopathy from mechanical compression or inflammation. This is pivotal. Then when you have someone with radiculopathy and it's chemical, meaning is due to inflammation. One thing that can happen on the cervical spine is you can have some annular disruption of the cervical disc 
they can cause inflammation and can cause localized symptoms, meaning a radiculopathy due to the, the structures in the area that are responding to that, that inflammatory process. We call this a chemical radiculopathy. And the reason is because that patient's going to have symptoms that are associated with something that's constant, that's unrelenting. It may change a little bit with movement, but it's always there. These are your dull, achy, constant symptoms. It can be made worse with some movements, but it's always there. An interesting fact about these patients that we'll see also with disc lesion patients is that it's going to be worse at night. And part of the reason for that is, is that inflammation gets a little bit more at night. When you sleep is when you heal. So your body has nothing else to do, and it's going to try to heal all the damage you did to it the day before. So an important piece for your, uh, your patients to understand also, consider this. What treatments do you do for chemical problems? Well, you should use a chemical solution. Now, I'm not going to stand on my uh, you know, a podium and say that we have to use epidural steroid injections. We have to use steroid dose packs. We have to use non-steroidals. Uh, we can use supplements. You can use um, other ways to get this to calm down. You can use ice. You can use different ways for anti-inflammatory purposes. Um, however, they are best dealt with with chemical solutions. Now, mechanical. Mechanical is where most of these problems lie. When you do have any kind of significant annular disruption of the disc bulging, a disc herniation, it can actually compress on the nerve roots. There's only so much space in that intervertebral foramen. These are the patients that when they move, it makes it worse. There are certain positions that feel good, certain positions that feel bad. Now, with your arthritic patients, where that intervertebral foramen is starting to narrow because they're getting some arthrosis and they're getting some uh, bony changes along the outside rim of the actual vertebra or the facet joint, they do not like any kind of cervical protrusion or extension. These are two maneuvers that will decrease the space of that intervertebral foramen and is not friendly to this kind of diagnosis. So when you have someone who, you know, whenever I look up, I'm looking at birds, I'm painting a ceiling, whatever it may be, and that is exacerbating their arm pain, it should be a, a light bulb going off that I probably have something, as long as they fit in that age group, it's more, uh, it's more of a degenerative kind of radiculopathy. Now, we can also have disc problems where the disc is bulging backward. It could be a protrusion, it could be a herniation. These are your patients that don't like rotation. They don't like lateral flexion, and they also don't like cervical flexion. So those are the maneuvers, not only that are going to lead you in a diagnosis of a cervical disc problem leading to that radiculopathy, but also think about that with your rehab. Those are things you should not be doing, at least at the very beginning part of your rehab, because it's only going to make things worse. Now, I told you about the mechanical aspect and the chemical aspect of um uh, nighttime pain. And as far as chemical, it's worse at night. This can also happen with disc problems. Your discs, when you take gravity off your disc, will actually start to expand at night. You'll get some more inhibition, more influx of water into the disc. So if you start to see disc pro or radiculopathy worse at night, it could still be a mechanical problem associated with a disc lesion. However, your uh, arthritic patients are usually a little bit better when they're recumbent. So another little clue of whether we have cervical radiculopathy due to mechanical or compressive uh, issues. Now, uh, when it comes to most patients, 
it's a combination. Yeah, you've got a sprain or a strain of a disc. Yes, you have some irritation at the facet joint uh, and causing some inflammation, but it's all happening at once. So we need to make sure that we know where that patient is lying in their continuum of their radiculopathy and treat it as such. Only using one method, only using manipulation, only using dry needling, only using massage, it just doesn't make sense for these patients. They need a combination of things to help get them out of pain. It could be manipulation with manual therapy, with exercise, with nerve flossing for some patients. It could be an anti-inflammatory manipulation for other kind of patients with a chemical issue. So understanding the patient understanding their dysfunction will help you select what types of treatments are best. Now, if you want the actual references, you want the actual research, you can find those in ChiroUp. ChiroUp has all those things in the cervical disc lesion and cervical DJD condition reports. Then if you want all the possible methods that have some evidence behind it, we've got that in there. But be sure that your treatment is as complex as your patient problem. Uh, manipulation works extremely well. And I'm going to give you some references towards the end of this podcast on how to help these patients, but it doesn't help for everyone. And also there are some people that may require more things. Now, part two, part two is my favorite part because it actually incorporates some um, linguistics, uh, some skill in your lexicon, the skill in your words. We need to somehow convey everything that we know about a condition to our patients in about 10 minutes. This is very difficult to do, especially when you have someone with a high school education versus a graduate degree education versus someone in healthcare versus someone who's 90 and having difficulty hearing. So this is the process that is very difficult on any provider, not a chiropractor, any provider. Because if your patients can understand their conditions just as well as you do, you guys are both working together to solve this problem um, at the same time, which is, I believe, the best way to treat any kind of a condition. So number two is this. When symptoms present, it's not necessarily when the problem presents. So if you have a degenerative process, this is a months, years long process. If your determination is someone has cervical spondylosis causing radiculopathy, that's fine. However, we can't educate the patient that that spondylosis is the cause of that radiculopathy. It's a huge perpetuator, no question about it. However, that degenerative process, those arthritic changes are not going away. In fact, the research says it's probably going to continue to get worse. The one thing we can do to help prevent anything from getting worse, manipulation, mobilization, active range of motion, all the things that we do in our office. However, we have to understand that when someone comes in with symptoms, this is usually due to uh, a single traumatic event, a change in postural stress, a new repetitive stress that's just catching that person in that continuum of degeneration. So we can start with, you know, a little bit of joint dysfunction that led to over time can lead to some imbalance of joints around the cervical spine. If left for over time turns into a, maybe a disc sprain over time. Now we have 40, maybe 50. It starts to lead to disc bulging, leading to herniation. If you keep on doing that activity and ending in degeneration. And this goes for every single joint in our body. When we catch people is the biggest piece. So keep this in mind that, you know, whenever you have disruption of that outer disc, that can be 
asymptomatic. In fact, 63% of males over the age of 40 have asymptomatic protrusions. The crazier number is that you can have 10% adults over uh, the age of 40 that have asymptomatic herniations. Just because you have a protrusion or herniation doesn't mean you're going to have pain. Now, interestingly enough on that last number is that 10% of adults under 40 have herniations and 5% over 40 have herniations. And the reason for that drop from 10% to 5% is those people with a herniation are going to start to cause degenerative problems and be classified as more of a degenerative type of radiculopathy as compared to uh, just a disc problem. That unfortunately, uh, with the spine, we start to see this happen uh, continuously, whether it's a cervical spine, thoracic spine, or a lumbar spine, that we have this uh, Kirkley-Willis uh, degenerative process that happens across all joints. Now, fun fact. Um, this is one of the, uh, the, the interesting things that we're going to, to see in practice is that cervical disc lesion is the second most common of cervical radiculopathy. What's the first? So if disc lesions cause the second amount, the first, the most common cause of cervical disc lesions is actually degenerative stenosis. So keep this in mind in the back of your head of the age of your patient. Now, one thing to keep in mind with those age of patients as a young person, uh, which unfortunately I'm 41, I don't fit into that young person category anymore. Maybe in the brain, I feel like I do. Um, however, I still feel like I'm invincible. I still feel like everything's going to heal. So maybe I don't go see a doctor right away, whereas an older person with possibly with degenerative changes may see a doctor. So we're going to see more codes come out of the degenerative stenosis causing radiculopathy as compared to cervical radiculopathy secondary to disc lesions. Now, how do we identify these things? How can we, as conservative therapists, as doctors trying to help our patients without spending a ton of time, ton of money, getting the best bang for our buck? And I think, and the evidence will support me, that orthopedic testing and your physical exam along with an empathetic ear, is going to solve a lot of these problems. Before we dive into the orthopedic test, and we're going to do a little something different this time, we're not going to just go over the positive orthopedic test. We're also going to cover the negative orthopedic tests. Imagine not only identifying what it is, but also making sure what it's not. Before we get into that, a word from our sponsor. Can't get enough of the information you hear on our podcast? You will absolutely love our platform. ChiroUp helps thousands of chiropractors across the globe simplify the way they practice using our online evidence-based software. It's your one-stop shop for powerful clinical research, simplified patient education, and smart practice resources. Visit ChiroUp.com, try it out for free. And if you'd like to subscribe, use referral code PODCAST15 for 15% percent off 12 monthly billing cycles. No contract required. Offer valid on new subscriptions only. All right. So I did lie. We do have a sponsor, Cairo Up. Uh, we don't have any outside sponsors. Uh, it's just Tim and Brandon uh, talking about random things in a podcast. And for your listening pleasure, 
I left out Tim. Uh, now, Tim's busy uh, with a, a big fall uh, getting out to speak. One of the things about our speaking tour is we are all over the place. We don't go to one place versus the other. I know I was just in Pennsylvania, Kentucky. I'll be in Colorado, Minnesota, and that's all in a five-week stretch, and, and Tim does the exact same. If you ever want to uh, to catch Tim or I in person, you can head to our website, chirup.com, and go in the resource tab. And you'll see a, a well. You'll see a bunch of stuff. You'll see access to our blog. You'll see access to our webinars. You'll see access to our podcast. And I believe at the very bottom it'll say events. And it's going to be all the live events we have. And hopefully we can uh, we can meet in person someday. So before we uh, we dive into orthopedic test, uh, this is going to be uh, what I believe the most important part of what we do as chiropractors is not treating patients faster. Instead, evaluating patients faster because if you can get to the right diagnosis faster and you're more accurate than your counterparts in your area, you're going to have a much more satisfied patient population. Positive tests. So when it comes to cervical radiculopathy, your positive test when it comes to orthopedic tests are things that stretch or compress that intervertebral foramen, meaning can we uh, exploit this area? We can do it in a couple ways. Uh, now, as far as the evidence supports, Spurling's and maximal foramenal compression tests are your go-tos. Spurling's test is when you're going to go through a little bit of lateral flexion with the patient and create some compressive downward force to see if you have any reproduction of the patient's chief complaint, which is more of a passive test with some practitioner overpressure. Your maximal foramenal compression test, this is when the patient is going to go through full active rotation and then hyperextension. And we're once again looking for any kind of reproduction of that ipsilateral radicular symptoms. Now, these can also cause some discomfort in the facets. You're compressing it. So if you're getting some localized discomfort just at the neck, maybe this is just a facet irritation. However, if you start to notice some radicular symptoms, pain, numbness, tingling, burning, going down the hand, now we lead into that radiculopathy type category. One other thing that you'll find is uh, in his irritation of specific nerve roots. So you can go through your median, ulnar, and radial nerve tension test. I'm going to cover those in details. We have those in prior podcasts. However, uh, utilization of neurodynamics can help you, one, differentiate which nerves are irritated, and then possibly, just as important, picking the right nerve flossing exercises to help your patients desensitize those nerves and get them out of their symptoms a little faster. Now, you can also go through your Valsalva test, bearing down and reproduction of symptoms. This is not a very sensitive test, but it's there. Often your Valsalva, positive Valsalva patients, they're going to tell you that in their history. Every time I use the bathroom, every time I cough, sneeze, those things that increase pressure within the, uh, within the spinal cord cause symptoms. Now, we can also have uh, within the patient history or within your evaluation, something called relief on cervical distraction. So you can do this with the patient when they're seated or when they're laying down. You can pull up on the patient's head. You can create traction up to about 30 pounds. And whenever you do this, if it takes away the radiculopathy, now we think that there's a compressive problem at that intervertebral foramen that the use of manipulation, which can separate joints and create more range of motion, manual therapy, cervical traction, those are the kind of methods, those kind of treatments we can do with our patients to help take away that radiculopathy. Now, what are the negative tests? These are much more critical than you would ever think. Because these are the tests that I call license stealers. 
These are the ones that when we get, you know, late in the day on a Monday, after you've seen 40, 50, 60 patients, and, you know, you're, you, you go through fatigue. These are the patients that when you perform maximal foraminal compression Sperling's test, and you go, ah, radiculopathy, and you go, and you go treat. While that's probably the case for most people, here are the tests that you should perform just to make sure it's nothing else. Lermit sign. Good luck spelling that. Uh, it starts with an LH. Uh, Lermit sign is one of those that uh, when you have this, now we're suggesting more of a spinal cord irritation, which could be from a disc, but could also be from other space occupying lesions. This is when neck flexion generates more of a shock-like sensation going into your lower cervical and upper thoracic spine. So putting your head down into full flexion, sometimes actually uh, retracting your scapula and feeling that go down both sides. That is a red flag. That is an indication for imaging or at least taking a deeper dive to make sure nothing else is going on. We can also do our pathologic reflexes. Of course, this should be in our uh, physical exam, looking for any kind of upper or lower motor uh, neuron lesions. Uh, we can do ankle clonus. We can do Babinski. We can do um, Hoffman sign. Those are the kind of things that uh, unfortunately patients have rarely but can have. The next are cerebellar dysfunctions. You know, having somebody with unsteady gait, involuntary movements, impaired speech, nystagmus, uh, vomiting, those are the things that really could um, create a warning sign in your head that something else could be wrong. Now, if you want to take a deeper dive into how to assess uh, someone with cerebellar dysfunction or a possible, uh, uh, you know, artery dysfunction, uh, we have a webinar, actually, <laughs> funny enough, uh, we have a webinar, meaning Chiropop has a webinar. The most popular webinar that Chiropop has ever put out does not have Tim or I in it. Um, however, Thomas Schaud and James Demetrius did a phenomenal job of uh, working together to create a webinar for you. Uh, in fact, if you go in the Chiropop section under that resource tab, you'll be able to access the webinars. It's free. Uh, but this is a really interesting webinar from the experts uh, in the chiropractic profession on how to identify anybody with a, um, uh, in any kind of artery disease, any kind of possibilities of a stroke. Now, there's two other things that I want to cover as far as negatives. First is TOS, that when you have someone with ulnar nerve issues, uh, keeping in mind that TOS, 90% of them have issues in the ulnar nerve. Uh, we want to make sure that we have a, um, a, a radiculopathy versus a peripheral neuropathy. And TOS is one of those great mimickers. The other mimickers are uh, carpal tunnel syndrome, uh, pronator teri syndrome, and then, of course, you know, uh, finding any kind of other uh, possible nerve issues in our physical exam. So just because we have a positive uh, Valsalva, Spurlings, and maximal foraminal compression test does not only mean they have a cervical radiculopathy, make sure you at least scratch the surface with those negative tests just to make sure nothing else is going on. And if there are any questions in your mind, any uneasy feelings in your, in your conversation with the patient, in your physical exam with the patient, your orthopedic examination, do some imaging wait a little bit of time, uh, find a different test. Because if you uh, have any kind of question on if this is the only cause of their pathology and there could be alternate sources of pathology, make sure we do our due diligence and make sure we know exactly what's going on with that patient. Now, assuming like most of our patients, it's a true cervical radiculopathy. The goal is conservative management. You're going to find ways to reduce pain. 
decrease inflammation, decrease that mechanical compression, and improve any kind of functional stability. Those are things that are not just done in your office. If your job with a, a cervical disc lesion is to loosen things up, we still need to find ways to not only keep things loose at home, one of the greatest exercises, the cervical retraction exercise, but also teach the patient what they're doing to cause that problem. You know, with us, in that case, a cervical disc problem, looking down, constant rotation. Find those activities of daily living that are causing that person's problem and stop them. Because if you are a wizard at getting things moving and you are the best rehabber, which isn't probably a word, but you give the best exercise, the best manual therapy, the best manipulation, but you forget to find out what's causing that person's problem to begin with, then unfortunately we're all peeing in the wind because it's going to come back. I am not anti-drug. I am not anti-surgery. But the reason a lot of times those don't work just as much as manipulation doesn't work is because the provider forgot something. You know, if you take a rotator cuff tear and you suture it up, within a year, two years, guess what happens? It continues to tear along the same orientation. It doesn't mean the surgery didn't work. It just means that person went back to their hobby, their habit, their sport, their sleeping position, whatever it may be, and that dysfunction is going to carry on. And the same thing happens to us as chiropractors, is that if we don't take a three-pronged approach and teach the person what caused that problem in the first place, it's going to come back. So having those conversations, that all doesn't need to be done in one visit. That takes too much time. Spend your initial part of your treatment educating the person on what you're going to do as a provider, educating them on what they can do, and slowly ease into literally digging into their life to find out what's causing this problem to begin with. One of the most interesting stories that um, I had as a, a, a chiropractor is I was probably a couple months into practice, and Dr. Burlesman and I, Tim and I, practiced literally a drywall wall away from each other. And Tim's like, and after a day of work, we've been, I've been hearing him talk. He's been hearing me talk. He's like, you got to stop talking. All I do is hear you jabber away all day long. And he's right. I talk with my patients nonstop. In fact, I have found ways to do manual therapy with my patients to educate them on how, when to contract, when to relax, so I don't have to stop talking. And the reason I do that is not to blow wind. It is to understand every aspect of that patient's life. Maybe I'm nosy, but also I believe I'm trying to find out all the possible ways this person could be injuring themselves and maybe insert my opinion uh, or some facts along the way to help them prevent this problem from happening again. Now, uh, whenever we talk about disc problems, we have to take in consideration the avascular anatomy of the intervertebral disc. Unfortunately, it is not very vascular, so it may take some time. The reason I bring this up is people want their pain gone yesterday. So whenever we do believe it's a degenerative cause or a disc-related uh, sprain that's causing this problem, it's going to be some time. Now, if it's a, just a pure chemical cause, inflammation dies down within days. So we can uh, help them weather the storm so they don't dive into more um, irreversible changes as far as uh, surgical changes um, and just say, hey, we're going to get this to calm down and get you on your way. So before we dive into the research behind what we do as chiropractors to help with disc herniations, I want to give you fun fact number two. 
because this is one of the sticky points, friction areas of my marketing technique. My marketing technique in my practice is to talk with medical doctors. I talk with a medical doctor probably on a weekly basis. I'll go buy them lunch and we'll sit down and we'll have a conversation about something different. In fact, uh, Dr. Uh, Brown, who's our uh, associate in our office, him and I do these talks. And one thing, and this is a great idea by Dr. Brown, is we started talking about mimickers because most doctors know about sciatica. They know about cervical radiculopathy, but they don't necessarily know about something like ischiofemoral impingement, gluteal tendinopathy, they don't understand other conditions that that hamstring strain that keeps on coming back might be a sciatic issue. So we started talking about mimickers that when you see this, here's how we treat this. Uh, so one symptom can have multiple sources of injury and it's been a, a great way to help market one, our expertise in the area and also have them understand what they don't know. However, here's one of the biggest pieces or friction pieces that we'll hit with medical doctors is they don't understand how manipulation can help a disc herniation. And there is research uh, around this is that if you have a joint restriction at the level of a disc herniation, it will impair normal imbibition and normal healing. Moreover, those joint restrictions above and below start to transfer mechanical stresses to the path of least resistance. So unfortunately, when we have a disc herniation, we should still be assessing for joint restrictions. It may be a little uncomfortable at the very beginning. However, we're going to show you that manipulation helps these patients. Now, there's always a cost benefit to everything we do. If someone's having severe pain, we need to wait a couple of visits to make sure that we let those things die down. However, manipulation is going to be critical. Now, in the, the notes for this podcast, I'll give you the references, but also you can see it in Cairo under the condition reference for cervical disc lesion. The Croft study found that 93% of chiropractors utilize manipulation in the cases of cervical disc herniation. Yeah, I, I think, in fact, I think that might be a little bit low. I think most chiropractors use manipulation uh, as far as HVLA with most of our patients. However, this is the bigger piece of this, is that when we do use manipulation for cervical disc herniations, we start to see significant improvement. And really, it happens within about two weeks. This is big. Now, the paper that I'm referring to found that we have very good improvement in two weeks. However, after about three months, we still see improvement. This is big because a typical injection, a typical medication has a half-life and starts to get out of the system. That if we can do manipulation and improve joint mechanics, in this study, they found that 85.7% of the patients still report a significant improvement of symptoms at three months. So this is something that says that we can significantly help our patients. Now, another paper that came out, I think there was 104 MRI-confirmed disc herniations demonstrated that people that went through spinal manipulation were much more likely to report relevant improvement compared to those treated with cervical nerve root injections. So people that utilize manipulation, which is less effective, less invasive, were much more likely to have pain relief as compared to nerve root injections. I am not gonna sit here and say nerve root injections don't work because they do. However, they work really well for those chemical related 
disc herniations causing chemical radiculopathy, and they don't work very well for true mechanical problems. That's where we fit in. So we can uh, really show patients much more value using manipulation as compared to injections. Um, at the very end of this podcast, at the very end of this conversation with uh, a cervical disc radiculopathies, think about the simple stuff. Manipulation, manual therapy, exercise, medication, surgery, those are all big deals. However, think on a small scale. What is this person doing to themselves on a regular basis causing their problem? Because this is where we can really have a dramatic impact on quality of life. Look at their ADLs. Look at their workstation. Look at how they sleep. These are all big pieces. In fact, Dr. Burlesman did a study on mattresses. This is something I get this question all the time. However, one of the things about mattresses that I think are extremely interesting is that when you have someone with a cervical um, radiculopathy, someone with a soft mattress, when you have a soft mattress, it'll allow your thoracic spine to sink in, which subsequently increases the amount of cervical lordosis. Think about that. Increased amount of cervical lordosis, increased intervertebral disc pressure. You're now reducing that intervertebral space. Could this be causing the radiculopathy? Maybe. Could it be preventing it from getting worse? Maybe. So those are big pieces. Um, going with a more firm mattress will significantly help this problem or at least rule out this as a cause of their problem. The same thing with pillows. So your pillow support, um, whenever you're, you're looking at a patient with a mattress, don't think about just the like a small fortune now to buy a mattress. Uh, think about the pillow because when you have someone that has a, um, uh, a great cervical lordosis, it causes a problem. Your softer, thinner pillows are not as recommended as a, a little bit more of a firm mattress. I'm sorry, a firm a firm pillow to keep the head in more flexion. So think about the mattresses, think about the pillows. These are the things that can um, help get your patients out of pain and keep them out of pain. Now, uh, in conclusion, with talking about um, this podcast is at the very end of the day, every patient is a case study of one. However, if you can get the right diagnosis and you can do the right treatments, uh, usually including manipulation, manual therapy, exercise, we can help a vast majority of these people get out of pain. So in conclusion, let's talk about the last two pieces of this podcast. The first is this is that when you have someone with cervical radiculopathy, the most common clinical neurologic findings that we're going to see are sensory disorders. We see that all the time. But we also see 61% have reflex abnormalities and 51.7% have motor weakness. That last piece of that, that motor weakness, is not an automatic referral for an MRI or orthopedic evaluation. It is a big deal, though. As conservative management providers, we need to make sure that doesn't get worse. So whenever you have someone with sensory problems, reflex problems, and definitely motor problems, they stay on a post-it note on my, uh, my, my desk. I'm going to keep them on a close, uh, under close uh, observation. However, the biggest piece of that is, is that weakness getting better? And if we're not noticing progressive neurologic deficit and we are seeing improvement of strengths, we continue to treat. But if you see that turnaround, that's when we're going to make the appropriate referral. And then finally, employees. Understandably, not a part of cervical radiculopathy, although they do cause headaches sometimes. 
and dizziness and frustration and lost night's sleep. Anyway, I highly recommend using the Q12. The Q12 is just a questionnaire. However, their first question led me to start to incorporate those KPIs that we talked about at the very beginning. And that question is this, I know what is expected of me at work. This sounds simple. However, do your patients know what's expected of them at work? And what we found is the people who strongly agree with that, we see organizations have a 22 production in turnover. However, when we start to see that number drop and people don't understand what their job is at work, we see a 29% increase in problems. So having patient or patients, uh, employees understand what's responsible, what their responsibilities are at work will be a dramatic turnaround in your employee satisfaction and also productivity. So I would strongly consider doing some KPIs uh, associated with each one of your employees. They'll have uh, some responsibility at work and better job uh, satisfaction. I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, This episode done solely uh, by Brandon and not Tim has been an absolute pleasure to put together. If you liked the episode, hit the follow button. Never miss an episode in the future. And by following, you'll be uh, the first to know what's going on with our new content. This content right here actually was submitted by a subscriber. They want to hear about cervical radiculopathies. So if you have any questions, concerns, comments, let me know. If you have any criticisms, make sure you send those to Tim at Um, But most importantly, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll come at you next month with the next intriguing, fun, exciting episode on the world of evidence-based chiropractic. Hey, thanks for listening. To access more information, visit ChiroUp.com. You can sign up for a 14-day trial. Use referral code PODCAST15 for a special discount after your trial. Offer valid on new subscriptions only.